That was an oldie. Good morning. Good to see you. Turn, uh, if you wouldn't, in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 9. Turn to Matthew chapter 9. I'd appreciate that. We're going to continue and actually finish up in our series this week, uh, our series called Come and See. And uh, I will give you a little, little catch up before we get started. And uh, we have a special guest to share a little bit as well today. Um, we have been going through a series called Come and See. And uh, the first part, the, the idea of that series was that we would be inviting people to come and see the transformation that Christ has made in our lives. That if we are Christ followers, if we have believed in faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ and have trusted him to forgive us, then we have been transformed, right? God, God says he's taken the old uh, and it's gone and now he's made all things new. And that we, we live lives that are transformed and that should be evident not only to us and to the immediate family around us, but to the world around us, around us as we live, that our lives are different. So our first, our first sermon uh, on this series was uh, that we would invite people to come and see the actual transformation that's happened. We wouldn't water that down. We wouldn't hide it. We wouldn't try to not be pushy because, you know, it might be offensive. That we would not be ashamed of what Christ has done in us and for us. And, and in that, there is a potential that he will use what he has done in us and through us and for us for somebody else. Right? To redeem somebody else, that somebody else could be changed forever because of how God has changed us. So we're inviting people to come and see this transformation. And then as, as we moved on to the next week, we talked about the sovereignty of God. That as, as we trust that we're inviting people to come and see, we're trusting that God is sovereign over that. That God is sovereign over who he brings into our lives. That, that we are only participating along with what God is doing. And that's a privilege. And then thus the responsibility or the weight of eternity in someone's heart is not on our shoulders. That you and I get the privilege of partnering with what God is already doing. And if you don't do it, someone else will. But, but I want to I be part of that fruit. I want to partner with, with my Father in heaven and, and be excited and have joy in my heart because of what He is doing. And I want to experience the joy of my Master as I faithfully obey and uh, come alongside His sovereignty. And we talked about in that, in that sermon that, that He doesn't get the address wrong, right? That where, whoever He places in our lives, He doesn't get the address wrong. I was talking to someone Yesterday about this, I know that, that uh, they, they had a student in school that just struggles because they, they seem to live by their faith and, and embrace their faith, and, and others don't, right? They don't want to have anything to do with it. So she finds herself isolated oftentimes, and it's, it's difficult to, to develop a friend group. And I, I, said, I told her this, I said, you know, I was similar in, in my high school days to that, and uh, I, can, I, can, I can see that, I can understand that, but, but I had this, this deep longing just to be, be accepted by God. I wanted, I wanted him to be pleased with me. I didn't care what other people thought. And, and the mindset I had is in the sovereignty of God was my group, my friends, are whoever's sitting next to my desk in my class. Like whoever, I, I sat down and whoever's in front of me or beside me or behind me or beside me, that, those are my, that's my group right now. That's who God's given me as a group. And I, I can interact with them and, and, and share with them and love them and, and be a friend right there. My ultimate need was met in Christ and I could, I could then let God be in charge of the address wherever I was that I could be faithful to him and participate with him in what he was doing. Then last week we talked about uh, inviting people to come and see the compassion of God's people, that we would be people of compassion. That's going to bleed into today's message as well, but understanding that, that compassion is, is in this hospitality realm is this idea that I'm going to love strangers. I'm going to love them and be genuine with them. I'm going to care for them. I'm going to open my heart and open my home to them. I'm going to, I'm going to let, them, let them in. It doesn't mean I approve of their sin, but I accept them as a person. And, and I want to I use my hospitality and my compassion and my service to others as a means of grace, that they would see grace in their lives. They see the grace of God 
through our love for them, and they would be drawn to that. Again, it's inviting people to come and see this change that's happened. And as we serve others diligently and, and selflessly, people notice that. And, and I hope you understand, as we've looked out, as, we've, as, as our, our church has gone through some different growing pains of its own and, and, and just deep, dark, not dark necessarily, but, but grieving times, we've seen God come to the surface of that, and, and the community has been watching as we have loved one another well, as we have let God love us well, as we have grieved well together, and as, as we have let God's glory be the thing that, that, that strengthens us. People are seeing that. People are seeing the compassion we have for one another and even the community as we serve them, and they are being invited to come and see Jesus Christ. And today we finish up with, with our invitation to come and see, uh, knowing this, that our invitation to come and see is an invitation to everybody always. Now, I, I ripped that off from an author, Bob Goff, who actually, um, I ripped off another thing from, right? Love Does. He wrote a book called Love Does, and we do a lot of Love Does projects, don't we? That's because it's an action. Love is a verb. That's, that's what we do in the community to serve. Love Does. You have opportunities today to sign up for some of those uh, during Fourth of July weekend. He wrote another book called Everybody Always, talking about who, who is it that we love? Well, it's everybody always. We, we, we mentioned that uh, after our first uh, Easter, Easter Love Does week. We had a panel up here, and I, I talked about the, the story of the Good Samaritan, Right, and that the question got brought up to Jesus, well, well, who is my neighbor, right? Who, Jesus, who are the people I should love? And what did Jesus do? He, he turned around that question. He told a story about this good Samaritan who stopped for this, this guy on the side of the road, and he helped him, he bandaged him, he went the extra mile with him, and he, he went to, to put him in an inn to take care of him and put, gave extra money, right, to support him. And, and the, the question was, was turned around by Jesus. It wasn't so much like, see, that was, a, that was someone you should have been a neighbor to. He, he said, he said, who should be the neighbor to somebody? Not who is my neighbor, but who should be a neighbor, right? And, and I, I mentioned the invitation was like, Mr. Rogers, won't you be my neighbor? Won't you be my neighbor is what Jesus is asking. So it's not about, well, well let me identify which ones I need to love. Let me, Jesus, tell me which ones are important enough to value. But it's really to check our heart and say, I am to be a neighbor to everybody always. And that's what we're talking about today, this idea that when we, that invitation to come and see is an invitation for everybody, always, not just certain people. So with that, I want to invite Becky Weed up to share a little bit. She went to Greece uh, on a mission trip with Corbin University, and, and she went there uh, to work in the migrant uh, refugee camps, right, refugee camps, and she'll tell you a little more about that, and we'll get into our sermon, okay? Welcome, Becky. Come on up. Hi, guys. <laughs> I hope your morning's going well. It's pretty early for me. Um, <laughs> so as Brandon introduced, um, I was able to go on this amazing opportunity um, on a trip to Lesbos, Greece, with my school, Corbin University, which is in Salem, Oregon, very small Christian school. Um, I got to serve in the refugee camp, Camp Moria, and maybe you guys have heard of that in the news, but it's a camp made for 2,000 people, but there's about 7,000 people living there, so it's very crowded and... Um, hard to see so many people stuffed in there and living there. Um, basically, our team worked with Euro Relief, and we worked in eight-hour shifts doing different jobs around the camp, um, a lot of relief work. So we guarded gates, we helped families move in, distributed stroller and shower tickets, distributing diapers, um, and doing odd jobs like taking a tool to someone's tent. Um, I would say this is probably the hardest trip I've ever been on. It was emotionally and physically challenging and overwhelming just based on the work we did and um, struggling with how can I shine Jesus to these people um, when I 
can't even share the gospel. Um, because I, I want to mention Christ or I want to hand out a Bible when the opportunity is right, but I couldn't even do that in the camp. Uh, so the first day of camp, getting like our training and figuring out what do we do and these are the rules for safety and building relationships, etc. I felt a lot of doubt and confusions and completely overwhelmed. Um, and I kept asking the question, how am I really going to invite people to come and see Jesus here? Um, because I, I can't even mention Christ. Even if they ask, it's, it's hard to talk about it because if someone else hears that I'm talking with a Syrian refugee about, about anything in the Bible and their friend hears it, they will likely beat up that person later. Uh, just with persecution and the Muslim faith and um, just the way it clashes. So I struggled with that and I realized the answer to that question was compassion and is compassion. And I, as the days went on, I learned that more. And I would say that my change of perspective moment uh, was after two days we were in the camp, we had a day off, and we went to the Life Jacket Graveyard on the island, which is piles of thousands of life jackets from refugees that came on the island and just threw them off on the beach as they were getting off the boats, or they floated to the beach. And as we were walking on that holy ground of just a dump of life jackets, I imagined every a person filling every single life jacket and felt completely overwhelmed with that and that emotion. And it was silent there. It was absolutely silent. And none of our teammates, we didn't talk. We just walked and surveyed the area. And in my mind, I just imagined these screaming children, screaming mothers, just trying to get off these boats, and some of them not making it, and some of them making it, and still struggling with maybe a backpack of clothes that they got from their country. And that completely changed how I looked at these people. And I realized that these are not refugees, because that's a label, right? Even refugees is a label. And they are real people made in the image of God. They, regardless of what they have been through and what they have done or will do, they are real people. They are mothers, they are fathers, they are children, they are single women and single men, just escaping their war-torn country in search for hope and freedom and compassion. And I feel blessed to have the opportunity to give them that compassion to even if it's the littlest taste of compassion, to be able to give that to them and plant a seed in their life so they question, where else can I get this compassion? Um, so as I worked in the camp, because I couldn't share about Christ, I acted compassionately through sacrifice, service, conversations, and many of those acts were in the smallest ways. And what's cool about God is he works in the smallest ways. And I'm thankful that that's something that I accepted, that I don't have to see an immediate change, but I know that I planted a seed, and that's enough. Um, and so I found myself giving each man and woman in that camp my full attention, and I, I give God the full credit for that, because sometimes it was just like a 10-second answer to a question that someone had, or saying no or yes to someone. Um, but when I was speaking to that person, I made eye contact with them um, as best I could with the culture, <laughs> which was customs. But um, just
just showing them that I am listening to you and I want to help you the best I can right now. And I, I, when I looked at each person, I, I saw that they are God's precious child, that each individual soul is God's precious child, and I want to show compassion for that. Um, so even though Syrian, Afghanistan, Turkish, and African people have been often labeled as militant or helpless, as we hear in the news so often, I treated them as real people who are in need of Christ's love because they are in need of Christ's love. Um, and even though certain minor boys tried to cause trouble or sneak into a more vulnerable living area, I loved them by laughing with them and allowing controlled fun while also showing the importance of rules. Um, even though mothers and fathers would keep asking for stroller tickets after I could not give extra tickets, I understood their need to protect and care for their children after all they've been through. And I loved them by listening and giving them other options. Even though men tried to pick fight with other men, we showed compassion through reasoning and calm discussion. Even though moving in new families involved disagreements, complaints, and arguing, we showed compassion by offering the little things we could and listening to what they had to say. So this trip was a challenge because I had to learn to show compassion in a different way. Here in America, it's easy to just love someone and if they ask like oh why are you so kind and because because I love God or something like that but even there I couldn't say because I love God um, so learning to show compassion to the littlest things whether that's a smile or carrying a backpack with a new family to their new tent um, and, and listening to what they had to say listening to their stories or their complaints or their needs and doing what I could was enough compassion that I could give and like I said, that planted a seed. Um, and there were so many tough situations, but so much glory that I know God was doing there and still is. Um, and what I am proud to say is that I never felt useless in the camp. I always felt under God's power in that camp. And I, I've always struggled with feeling like, am I actually making a difference here? Is God really using me? And I know he did use me there, even if I never see the results. Um, and there's people there that are continuing those long-term relationships, and that gives me hope as well. Um, so I offered Christ's love the best way I could, even the smallest ways. So I still consider that I invited all who I came across to see goodness and love through the tiniest acts of compassions, and none of it was in vain. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Becky. You're going to hear more from Becky and also Christine Holst. I think it's July 22nd, somewhere around there. There's a potluck we'll have after the second service, and they're going to share what they've done uh, this summer and, and get to answer questions uh, from us as well. So I encourage you to put that on your calendar. So we are, uh, we are in Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to, going to follow up with what Becky has shared uh, in this idea that uh, we are to love and show compassion to everybody always. The invitation is to everybody always, okay? Um, <clears throat> We're going to pray, and we'll get, uh, we'll get started right in our, our passage. Father, thank you so much for the love that you've shown us. Thank you for the grace that you've given us through Jesus Christ. God, my prayer is that that will sink deep into our hearts today and every day, that that, that would be the motivation we have, first and foremost, to serve and love other people, because you first loved us. God, as we look at your word today, may we, may we have open hearts and open minds to be receptive to what your word has to say to us. May you challenge us and change us. 
conform us into the image of the Son. We pray in His glorious name. Amen. So we are in uh, Matthew chapter 9. We're going to begin in verse 35, if you turn there with me. 35 through 38. <clears throat> so then, then Jesus went to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them, because they were weary and worn out, like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. All right. So we're going to look at this, this idea of coming and, and seeing. And I, I do encourage you, chapter 9 is going to be kind of a focus. Uh, we'll look at some of the other passages within that. Uh, but read that today. Read that, read that or the surrounding uh, chapters maybe tonight with your family and get a, get a bigger perspective on the compassion that Christ is showing and calling us to show as well. So we're going to look at coming and seeing uh, everybody always, right? That invitation is to everybody always. So the question is why? Why everybody always? Why can't I just pick and choose when it's comfortable to me, right, and for me? So why, number one is this, the good news isn't limited to one group. The good news isn't limited to one group. Can I get an amen for that? Like, aren't you glad it wasn't limited to just one group? Um, you and I are all different, and uh, although we are now united in Christ, uh, it, and it becomes maybe a little more difficult for us to see those differences that we had, we were all in different places, different paths, different journeys, and we could have all been labeled in different ways. If you look at notice of verse 35, it says Jesus continued, right? So he's continuing his ministry of chapter 9. He continued going around to what? All the towns. Not just a couple towns. Not just a couple unique villages that had certain kind of people, but to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. He, he was going everywhere to everybody so that everyone would know about the kingdom of God and the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's important for us to understand and know that, that the, uh, the good news isn't limited to just one group. You know, we tend to make lists, don't we? We tend to compile lists of people who, who, who are in or who are out. Right, the A list or the B list, us and them. We like to make lists. And, and, and unfortunately, those lists keep us from showing compassion to people that may need it most. I, as I've gone through this series and I, as I pre prepared for it, and I told you about the book I've been uh, going through, uh, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, very, very convicting about my own personal lists that I have. Like who, who's in and who's out? Who has an open invitation and who doesn't? And I, I don't want to make lists anymore. Here, here are some of the things that we categorize, some people, some groups we categorize people into, all right? Maybe this is one of your lists. There's the weirdos, right? And they're, they're just weird. I can't deal with weird. Maybe they're broke. They got nothing, right? They're just going to mooch off of us. Maybe they're rich and they've got everything and it's going to make us feel uncomfortable. They're the dull people, right? The impulsive people. The repulsive people. There are the frustrating. There are the creepy people. The old, the young. There are the sick people. There are the smelly people. There are the competitive. There are the laid back. There are rednecks. There are jocks. There are singles. Right? There are the marrieds. There are the divorced, and there are the broken. And this list can go on and on and on. But we categorize these people and put them on a list that's, that's over here where we are not. 
And that's not what Jesus did. I want, I want to look back, and if you look at your scripture in the text of chapter 9, looking at, starting up at uh, verse 2, I'm going to just give you some lists of people that Jesus interacted with, okay? These are people that Jesus showed compassion to. Uh, verse 2, we see uh, a paralytic man was, was brought to him. Going down to verse 10, we see that there were tax collectors and sinners. I mean, these are notorious people. These are some of the worst of the worst in this culture, tax collectors and sinners. You go on uh, down from there, verse 18, it's, uh, we saw he, he, he interacted with leaders. There was a leader who came to him. And uh, he talked about his daughter, right, the leader's daughter. So there was a daughter and a leader. Uh, in verse 20, there was a bleeding woman, right, had, had, had an illness, a sickness uh, going on to verse 23. There was a crowd that was lamenting. So he was interacting and showing compassion to a crowd that was lamenting and later actually laughed at him. Verse 27, we see two blind men that Jesus interacted with. Verse 32, we see a demon-possessed man who Jesus interacted with and showed compassion to. And then down in verse 35, our text for the day, he, he went to and saw and he labeled and, he went and showed compassion to the towns and the villages, right? The crowds, and he says, the distressed and the dejected, those that were sheep without a shepherd. See, Jesus' list is pretty big too, isn't it? But these are the people that Jesus doesn't put on a list and says, well, maybe we'll get to them. He puts them on a list and says, everybody always is important to me. I want to show compassion to everybody always because they have value. And that's how Jesus did it. You think about this, you know, we, we tend to make those lists and we make those divisions, but, but we learned in Galatians, we went through the book of Galatians, that once we have trusted Christ and come to Christ, that we're all one. Right? In, in Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 to 29, it says, For those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. So there's this change that's happened, that we're no longer ourselves, we're now His, we're in Him, we're clothed with Christ. And it says, There is no Jew or Greek, no slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, you and I have the benefit as, as believers of Christ, as being in Christ, that we are all one in Christ. We are on the same list in God's eyes. But we tend to, after, the, after we come to Christ, we tend to categorize ourselves as us and then we push everyone aside as them. And now granted, there are certainly the sheep and the goats, right? We see Jesus separate those. We see there's a definitive line there. There's those who have come to Christ and are in Christ and no longer have a need for the redemption because they have it. And there's the rest of the world that is in deep and dire need for redemption. And that's the us and them. And those people that are, are valuable to God and, and we ought to reach out to those. And, and I hope that you and I can appreciate the cross-section that sits in this room right now, this cross-section of redemption. We know that the gospel is a bridge that bridges the gap between every people group that we could begin to classify as or categorize. Everyone on that list I read to you, everyone on the list that Jesus talked about, every category, Jesus has made a way to reach them through his blood, through his death, through his resurrection. The gospel is for whosoever would believe. Amen? Amen. Number two, why everybody always? Well, because there's a deep need for Jesus. There is a deep need for Jesus out there. Look, look at the text as it continues, uh, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he felt what? Compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. There's a deep need there. The word felt, now see, he felt 
compassion. And, and this word is, is from the gut is what it means. It means from the gut or from the, from the inner bowels of who you are. And, and here's why. This is, this is the, the, the place that people usually experience pain. When you have anxiety or ulcers or you, you started to associate feelings and emotions with actual pain feelings. Now, we, today we think we, we, it comes from the heart, right? It comes from the heart because it, it means something more. But the heart then meant, well, it's the mind. I, I connect it with my mind. So they connected feelings and emotion of deep, deep longings with, with the gut, right? So, so Jesus is saying uh, he felt compassion. This word means from the gut. It gives us a glimpse to what compassion really is. It's this deep and intense emotional symptom of genuine caring. It's a deep and emotionally intense symptom of genuine caring for people. Now, compassion can sometimes seem like weakness or enabling people, right, or overlooking sin. And, and I don't want us to get the wrong idea here that when we go out to love everybody always, it doesn't mean we approve of sin. It means we accept people because they are made in the image of God, that God created them in his image and they are valuable to him. Does that, does that make sense? You and I don't have to approve of sin still. You know, in this book, there's a story. She's telling a, a story about a friend who came and said, this is my lifestyle now, this is how I'm going to live, and I know you don't approve of it, so we probably can't be friends anymore. And, and she, she said, well, why are you changing the rules on me? I, I want to be your friend. Well, you don't approve of me. I said, and, she, and she came up and she said this to her. When have we ever approved of each other? Like, you don't approve of the way I discipline my kids. You don't approve of, of the shellfish that I use in my soup. You don't approve of... Think of the things we really don't approve of in our friends' lives that we have differences in, right? We, we can still accept someone and love someone compassionately and not approve of their sin and the sin in their life. And that's really important because we also categorize people as just sinful. They're sinful. I, I don't want I, I might, to... I might catch that. I don't want to be around them. And Jesus has already taken care of that for us. We can, we can go and love people, being careful not to be tempted. But we love people. We, we accept them as people, but not approve of their sin. So compassion, but compassion can look like that, though. Sometimes we enable people or we overlook sin. But this passage shows that Jesus is very aware of their need, right? You think about this, compare, this, this uh, relationship between compassion and their sin. It was because they were dejected or distressed, because they were sheep without a shepherd, that he had compassion on them. He saw a genuine need. The text indicates with those words that they were inwardly, utterly devastated and helpless because of their sin. He understands that desperate plight that's before us because of sin and, and how it separated us from God. Yet, in his nature, God is love. And God holds back this tidal wave of condemnation and wrath so he could have the opportunity to love us, and he places that condemnation and wrath on his son, Jesus Christ, because he, although we are skewed and although we are sinful, he longs to offer himself as justice and as the ultimate restorer and redeemer for mankind. How he loves you. How he loves us. And compassion should grow as we see devastated and helpless people. These people are far from God, but they need His love even more. And these people are people with value. I want to just go through a, a 
few passages. They're in your notes. You can look them up later. But, but here's, some, here's some thoughts of, about this. Genesis 1.26, we see that we people, human beings, were created in the image of God. In Psalm 139, it says that we were fearfully and wonderfully made. And then we see Scripture says that, that we fell. In Genesis chapter 3, we fell, right? We, we ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil when, when sin entered the world, death entered the world, and separation from God. And then Jesus comes in, in Romans 5. He says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Then in Isaiah chapter 53 and John 3, 16, God shows how much he loves us by giving us and crushing his one and only son on our behalf. We talk about the value he has. And in Luke 12, he talks about us versus sparrows. And he says, human beings have value. Human beings have value. I love, I love Becky's story of, of that life jacket graveyard. She's able to see this graveyard of life jackets. And listen, I, I understand we can categorize uh, refugees into, into militant groups or terrorists even, right? Right? Low lives. They're, they're sponges on society. They're, they're hurting the economy. We can put labels on them all we want. And some of those labels may be very, very true. We don't necessarily have to prove of those actions, of those sins. But as, as people, as human beings created in God's image, they have value to God. And we are to show compassion to them. We are to show love to them because that is how Christ has treated us. And I don't think we'd trade that in for a minute. There's a poem that some anonymous person wrote. I want to read. It says, Let me look on the crowds as my Savior did till my ears with tears grow dim. Let me view the pity, the, uh, let me view with pity the wandering sheep and love them for the love of Him. You know, I've said this a lot and it's, it's not cliche at all. It's tough loving people. And you don't owe it to me to love me. You owe it to God to love me. And, you owe it, and I owe it to God to love you. And we owe it to God to love others. Because they have a deep need for Jesus. Finally, number three. Why everybody always? Well, because God's love is our motive. God's love is our motive. And we just, we just mentioned that. I, because, and I say God's love is our motive because it's not about what we want or what's comfortable. We tend, to, we tend to set our own motives up. We tend to set our own priorities, right? This is my list of things I'm going to do. This is my list of people I'll accept. This is the list of people I'll, I'll welcome in. This is the, these are the people I'll, I'll talk to. Those are our motives. But when we talk about loving everybody always, and in this invitation to love everybody always, we have to understand that it's not about our motives. It's about God and his love for them. And God's love then becomes our motivation to love and serve others. I want us to read verses 37 to 38 together here on Matthew 9. It says, And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. I want us to, to clarify and understand something. Because this, this, it seems almost like this text is out of place for what we're talking about. God's love is our motive, but we fully, can't fully understand loving people until we understand and know about God's judgment. Uh, th and you could study this more on your own, but, but when we talk about the harvest, we're, we're not just talking about those who are going to believe. There's a harvest, and, and it's in your notes, a passage in Revelation, where, where the harvest is talked about as God's ultimate judgment and final judgment, where he finally separates it all. 
where he finally sees who's in and who's out. And that's the ultimate final harvest. And that harvest is plentiful, and that harvest is ripe. There is coming a time where God's judgment will happen. We talked about that last week. It is imminent. The end is imminent. And you and I then have the responsibility and that, and that privilege to go out into the fields and work and be laborers along with God that someone might believe the gospel, that someone might see the love of Christ and turn their heart to God from themselves. And that's what we talked about last week too, the Romans passage. We talked about its kindness, right? It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. The whole verse says, do you despise the riches of his kindness, his restraint, his patience? We love that, don't we? We love the fact that God was restrained against us, that he had kindness, that he was patient with us. We should not despise it as we go out to share that with the world. It says not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. So there is an actual judgment of God on people, and, and, and people stand condemned in their own sin. If you, have, you have se- are separated from God, you stand condemned. But Jesus, right? But Jesus is ready to rescue you in his great love. He's holding back this wrath and this judgment so that you and I could experience this deep love of God and affection of God on us. And that affection is that when he held back that restraint and that that justice, he ultimately put it on his shoulders on the cross. And it it pleased God to crush the son. Loving others, working as workers in the harvest field, in the field, as laborers, that's our privilege and opportunity to love people, showing, him, showing them his kindness and helping, helping them be led to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. A couple other passages I want to mention. We love, it's 1 John 4, 19-21. We love because why? He first loved us. See, God's love is our motivation And we have to wrap our heart and mind around that. We have to love God first and most and understand how greatly and deeply he loves us. And before we we can go love someone else, we have to get that. And the more I love God and the more I know, know God's love in my heart, the more I will grow in loving other people. So if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Listen, if you and I are busy putting people on lists and categorizing people and pushing them aside, not loving them, we have a heart problem between us and God. There is a connection problem here. We have to go and analyze that. We have to say, God, how how can I know your love more and how can I love you more? How can you set the motive of my heart right? How can you set the priorities of my heart right? 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15 says, For the love of Christ compels us. God's love compels us since we have reached this conclusion. If one died for all, then all died. And he died for all so that those who live, you and I, should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Our affections for Christ and his love for us should overflow as love for others because God's love compels us. Finally, Matthew 22, 37 to 39 says this. He said to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. This is the greatest and most important commandment. What's most important? That you and I would love God with everything we have. 
that this would always be first. And he says the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You want to know why it's second? Because we can't do the second one without doing the first one. If you want to love your neighbor, if you want to invite people, everybody always, to come and see Jesus, we have to love God in a huge, huge and special way. How we love others truly reveals how we love God. An invitation for others to come and see what Christ has done and can do is easiest when we love God above everything else, especially ourselves. When we love God first and most, we will love everybody always best. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Father, our desire is, is to love others. And, and I think in the, in the depths of who we are, we, we want that. But God, wreck our hearts if they need to be wrecked. Change our mindsets. God, take the list we've written and the categories we've categorized people in and, and erase them. God, that we would look at people, everybody always, as people created in the image of God, people that are valuable to you, and people that are in desperate need of the redemption that only you can offer and accomplish. God, so much has been accomplished in our hearts by you, and we thank you for that. God, help us not forget that. Help us not forget that you are patient with us. God, that you, you went the extra mile for us. That you drew us to yourself, and God, that you were the one who helped us believe. And you're doing that for others. God, we want to participate with you as workers in your labored, laborers in your vineyard to share the hope of Christ to everybody, always. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.